Welcome to episode 28 of our Life Group Study of Romans. Uh, we're nearing the end of our study of this particular letter. Uh, we're currently in chapter 15 and uh, we're going to be looking today at verses 14 to 33. So we're going to go right to the end of the chapter. Uh, Paul in this passage that we're going to look at today is beginning to wrap up his letter. He said um, he has said all that he wants to say and so he's returning to where he began in chapter 1 and really highlighting the reason why he wrote the letter. And I believe he's getting the uh, Romans ready for his planned visit to Rome, as we will see in this passage. And so he's really sharing his heart with them and filling them in on his plans. What we want to do today in terms of our study of this passage is we want to break it up into five sections, and we want to ask pertinent questions about each section that I believe can help us to gain the necessary benefit from this portion of Scripture, uh, the benefit that we need. And so um, let's begin by looking at the first section, which is going to be from verses 14 to 16. And what I want you to do today is I want you just to read the passage um, for each particular section. And so this one will be verse 14 to 16, and then answer the questions that will come up on your screen. And then once you've finished answering those questions and discussing them, then you can just come back to the video and uh, I'll just share some of my insights into the, the verses that we've read in each section. So if you'll just pause the video right now and just read verses 14 to 16, answer the questions and then come back. Well, welcome back. Let's have a look at these questions that uh, came up on your screen that you've been discussing. Uh, the first one is, why did Paul uh, write this letter? Well, we can see from this passage that Paul didn't write this letter because he felt that the Roman Christians were not competent, competent to instruct one another, that they had no knowledge of the truth. He was writing to people that he says were competent uh, to instruct one another. And so he wrote this letter to remind them of certain points that he felt were very important for them to know. We see this in verse 15 where he said, um, I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace of God given to me. So when he says here that he's written quite boldly on some points, what this tells us is that not everything that Paul taught is contained in this letter. This letter is not a, a complete exhaustive summary or um, teaching on what Paul believed the gospel to be. Uh, there are things in other letters that are not mentioned in this letter. And so this was really the main points that Paul felt very strongly needed to be emphasized to the Roman uh, believers. And we can see that he felt that, it, that this was very necessary by the fact that he did uh, quite boldly teach or remind them of these truths. And so we can, we can conclude that they were fundamentally important for the Romans to be reminded of, vital for their spiritual well-being. And I think we can learn something from this. And, and this, this lesson is this, that even though we know certain truths of Scripture and we've heard them being expounded and taught, that does not mean that there is no need for us still to be reminded of them. Uh, we should never be people that come to a place where we just say, oh, I've heard this before, so I don't need to hear about it again. 
because when it comes to the matters of God, repetition is often very necessary. And we need to be constantly reminded of the fundamental and most significant and important parts of our Christian faith. And so we mustn't be people that are always looking for something new to learn and discover and that become bored and, and quickly um, disinterested in things that we've heard before. So let's ask the, another question here. What made Paul think that he had the right to write to the Roman Christians? We need to, we ask this question just bearing in mind or remembering that it, Paul wasn't the one who started the church in Rome. He had actually never even been to Rome. So although there was influence that Paul had had in the church in Rome, as we can see in the next chapter where he, he, there were quite a few people in the church of Rome that he greets personally. And so they had obviously been personally impacted by Paul's ministry. Paul himself had never been to Rome. And so the church in Rome was not the product of his ministry directly. And we'll see this later on in this passage as we go through it. In verse 16, we see what gave Paul the right to write a letter to a church that he had had no involvement in establishing, that he had never led, he had never pastored. And it was the grace that God had given him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, as to specifically preach the gospel of God to the Gentiles. You see, Paul's ministry was given to him by God not just for the churches that he went and established and planted on his missionary journeys, but for all Gentiles in all ages. It went way beyond just the churches he started himself. And this is why the ministry of Paul has had such an impact on the church throughout its history and why even today it continues to have such an impact and uh, even to down to the fact that we are studying it today. You see, Paul had an, a great ministry, a great grace that was given to him by God so that his ministry would impact Gentile believers for all time. Why did Paul feel compelled to write what he did in this letter? Well, he tells us here in these verses, he wanted the Gentiles, and that included the Gentiles in Rome, to be an offering acceptable to God that are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul had in his mind as he penned this letter. This is what he was seeking. And he believed that the truths that he shared and communicated in this letter were fundamentally important for this to take place, for the Gentile Christians to be offerings that are acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This brings us to ask the last question, what relevance does this have for us today? And how should what we see Paul um, saying here and, and, and teaching us here, uh, affect the way that we view this letter and all that we've learned from it? Because we've, we've spent considerable time going through this letter. Um, I believe that the answer is this. God saw it fit to preserve this letter and ensure that it was passed down to the church for all time and even to us here in this 21st century so that we also could become offerings acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And this is the way we need to view the things that are taught in this letter. This is the kind of attitude that we need to have towards this letter and towards the incredible truths that Paul penned in this letter. And we need to take heed and uh, give the, every single doctrine, every single thing that we've learnt from the time we began to study this letter right through to the present day, the credence that it deserves in our lives. We should never underestimate it. We should never disesteem it. We should place highest regard and priority for the truths that he has shared here. And it should be our constant um, 
um, our constant way of life to be going back and just reminding ourselves of these things that we've learned. We shouldn't just uh, hear them once and then forget about them or think that that's all we need to do. We need to be constantly reminding ourselves of them, constantly meditating on them because they will have a very positive effect on our lives for all eternity. This brings us to section two. And section two, we're going to read verses 17 to 19. And there's just going to be two questions from this section. So if you can just read those few verses, verse 17 to 19, and then answer the questions that will come up on your screen. And then once again, come back and we will continue our study together. Well, welcome back. If you cast your mind back to chapter 1, right to the very first verse of this letter, you'll see Paul introduced himself as an apostle. An apostle, not by his own will, but by the will of God. And here, what he is referring back to is he's referring back to the, uh, the authority and the authenticity of his apostleship. You see, Paul's apostleship was proven. It was authentic. And Paul here gives two valid reasons why his uh, apostleship, his ministry as an apostle could be accepted as a proven bona fide ministry. Uh, the first point that he brings out here is the work that Christ had accomplished through him. That work, the accomplishments that that work had, proved his apostleship. Uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, he, he wrote and said to them, you are my seal or the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And this is what he's referring to here when he says that he's not going to venture to talk about anything beyond what Christ has accomplished through him. You see, this, the, the verification, the authentication of uh, Paul's ministry as an apostle, as his call as an apostle, was proven by the fact that his ministry had fruit, the fruit of apostleship. Then the second thing that he points to here is the power um, the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. We could say the power of miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul and all the apostles had a tremendous degree of miraculous signs and wonders that attested to their ministry and attested to their calling as apostles. You see, they weren't just apostles in name. They were apostles by the virtue of what their ministries accomplished that proved their apostleship. And also by the virtue of the miracles that God worked through them, which attested to their, their apostleship. And we also see here that these miracles helped Paul to be able to fully proclaim the gospel. Uh, they opened the door for him to fully proclaim it. And if you we were to look at the book of Acts, um, you will see that there are many examples of how miracles opened the door for the gospel to be preached. We see one example in uh, Acts chapter 19, where Paul was preaching in Ephesus. And uh, that's the city in, uh, of Asia, the, the main city in Asia at that time. Um, and that's the province of Asia, not Asia as we know it today. We see that Paul was preaching in the city of Ephesus. And God gave him the ability to work extraordinary miracles to where cloths were brought to him and they, they touched his body or they had his hands laid on them. And then these cloths were taken all across that province to people that were sick or demon possessed. And when those cloths touched them, they, the demons left them and they were healed. Now, the Bible says that these were extraordinary miracles. 
These weren't the miracles that you would expect every day, but they were signs of Paul's apostleship. And not only so, but they opened up that entire province of Asia to the gospel in a short period of time, just a matter of some years, without Paul even having to travel around it. And so God used miracles to open the door for the gospel to be taken into that province in a very short period of time. It actually says in the scriptures that everyone in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Uh, and it was the miracles that opened the door for that to happen and made it possible. We see another example in Acts 27 uh, when Paul was shipwrecked and he landed up on the island of Malta. And as he was building, it had been raining and very stormy and he was building a fire. Obviously, they were cold, maybe just to warm up. And a viper attached itself to Paul's hand. He shook it off. It fell into the uh, fire and obviously died in the fire. And the people thought that he was going to die, that Paul would, eventually, would fall down dead as a result of this venomous snake. But instead of that happening, Paul showed no signs of ill effects or, at all. The, the venom did not affect him. And this opened a door ultimately for a great revival to take place there on the island of Malta, even though Paul was a prisoner in chains at that particular time. And uh, the sick from all over that island were brought to Paul and uh, he, he, he laid hands on them and he healed them all. Incredible signs and miracles that opened the door for Paul to be able to proclaim the gospel on that island even as a prisoner, even in a very, very short period of time, the gospel spread throughout that entire island. Now, this is the kind of dimension that Paul's ministry had. And in fact, all the apostles' ministry had. And it was this kind of ministry that gave them such great fruit and also that attested to their apostleship. And so Paul was fully able to proclaim the gospel wherever he went because God was working with him in a miraculous way, opening the door for him. And I think we can learn something from this. You know, even though the apostles have, uh, you know, the, the, the era of the, the apostles has, has ended uh, and the scriptures have been finished and there's no need for apostles like Paul today, there are still people that are going into uh, rural areas, into areas where the gospel has never been preached. And you know that I believe it's vitally important that God is at work with people like that, even to the case of granting them ability to do and miracles, signs, and wonders. And I've seen this in my own ministry here in Zimbabwe as I've gone into the rural areas. We've seen God doing incredible miracles. And the reason he's done that is simply because of the very reasons that we've been discussing that Paul brings out in this passage. It opens the door for the gospel to come to people that have never really heard it, never really understood it, that it's not a part of their culture. It's something completely new. And it really flies in the face of everything that they've believed. So let's move on and ask another question. Did the fact that Paul had been given this grace by God lead him to boast about himself? No, he says he gloried in Christ Jesus with regard to his service and his ministry. And you know, all true ministers of Christ Jesus will always glory in Christ Jesus. I believe it's one of the telltale signs of whether someone is truly a servant of Christ or not. Uh, Paul attributed all that had been accomplished through his ministry solely to the work of Christ. He said, it's what Christ has accomplished through me. He took no glory for it. He didn't claim it as, a, as though it was his own work. And uh, he, he says he would not even venture to speak about anything beyond what Christ had accomplished through him. And it was Christ who was at work through him. He was just the vessel that Christ had chosen to use in this way. And uh, he was a vessel through which Christ was speaking and acting. And that's also the way that we need to receive the letter that we've been studying and all the truths that we've been going through and communicating. 
These truths are Christ through Paul teaching us. They are coming directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our attitude towards the truths that we've been learning is really depictive of our attitude towards the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, even when it comes down to spiritual gifts, uh, spiritual gifts which we looked at in uh, the chapter 12 are simply uh, Christ working through a person by the Holy Spirit in a certain way to accomplish a certain result. Every spiritual gift is just an expression of Christ's work. And when a gift is operating, Christ is operating. And so when this, the gift that Paul had, this gift of apostleship was operating in Paul, it was actually Christ operating through him. And so that's how we have to receive the ministry of Paul. We have to receive it as Christ ministering through him. He's just the vessel, but Christ is the one actually doing the work. Let's move on now to section three. And we're going to read verses 20 to 24. And then there's going to be three questions that will come up on your screen. If you can just do what we have been doing and just answer those questions after you've read the passage. And then just come back and we will have a look at them together. Well, welcome back. I hope you had fruitful discussions. Why had Paul been hindered from coming to the Romans before? Well, verse 20, he tells us it was that he wanted to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. He wanted to take the gospel to people that had never been told about it, had never heard about it. And uh, the, the people in Rome had. The church in Rome was already established. And so he wasn't uh, really that interested in going to Rome uh, from the, that very purpose and that very reason. What does this tell us about the heart of the true apostle? Well, I think it shows us that the true apostles are pioneers. Uh, they are those that go to the, the people that have not heard. They are, they are given to starting works. That's, that's really what apostleship is all about. They are the pioneers. They are the ones who go in. They, they plow new ground. They chart new waters. They go where no one else has gone with the gospel. And they go there to establish the work of God and to set it uh, its course. Um, it, that, that's really what the purpose of the apostles' ministry is. Uh, they are foundation layers. You see Paul saying, I don't want to build on anyone else's foundation. In other words, what Paul was saying there is that he wanted to lay the foundation. He didn't want to build on someone else's foundation. And that, is, that is, it depicts what apostolic ministry is all about. Uh, those who are called to be apostles are foundation layers. And they do not want to build on someone else's foundation. They want to go and, and, and they want to break new ground, as it, as it were. And they, we could say this, that they are architects rather than builders. Uh, they want to get a work started. They want to make sure that it's going to be done well. They want to set its course, um, but they're not there to, to just build it right to conclusion. They are there to make sure that it can be built to conclusion, that everything is in place. Um, but they are not there as builders per se. And so in Scripture, we see Paul himself liken the church to a building. In fact, he likens it to a temple. And he does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he says in that chapter that it is built. The church is a building, a temple that is built on the foundation of the apostles' teaching. And this is so important for us to understand because in Scripture, we have the, the, the teaching of the apostles. This is the foundation that we have to be building our lives, our church, our ministries, everything about ourselves 
on. It has to be built on the foundation that the apostles have laid. That is what their ministry is all about. They are the ministry that gives the blueprint for the church. And so we ask the question, what is Harvest Church being built on? As a congregation, what are we building ourselves on? What are we building our lives individually on? Well, we have the apostles' teaching. And this is why, as a church, we are so devoted to studying what the apostles taught. This is why we will go through letters that the apostles have written and we'll go through it verse by verse, word by word. It's because we believe that the apostles are those that God placed in the church to give us everything that we need so that we can build our individual lives and ourselves corporately as a congregation in a manner that is worthy and pleasing to God and that will be strong and, and, and glorifying to Him. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we building our individual lives? Are you building your individual life on the apostles' teaching? Are the apostles' teaching that we have in the New Testament, do they define your beliefs? Do they define your worldview? Do they define what you are pursuing in life? And, uh, and so on. You see, all of our lives, individually and corporately, must be absolutely as shaped and molded according to the apostles' teaching. And I, I have no doubt that if we do this, if this is how we will build our lives, if we will build it on the foundation that we have in the apostles' teaching, our lives will be built up strong and they will do well in the Lord. Let's move on to section 4, and we're going to read verses 25 to 29. And uh, there's going to be just one question that I want you just to look at quickly after you've read the passage, and then come back and we'll just ask a few more questions and discuss some matters concerning this particular passage. Well, welcome back. We can see from this passage that Paul wrote this letter to prepare the church in Rome for his arrival. Uh, presumably, when he arrived in Rome, he would have been able to answer any questions that they had about this letter when he got there. And so um, he was really just laying down these important points uh, with the, uh, the view that he was going to go there personally and be able to answer questions that they may have had and clarify points as well. We can see also that Paul, in this particular part of this passage that we're looking at today, he, he lays down a principle. And it's a principle that Paul didn't just teach in this passage. He taught it in, in numerous other places in different letters um, that he wrote to different churches. Here he takes this principle and he applies it to uh, the Gentiles and the Jews. And he says, if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. And he was particularly here talking about a collection, an offering that he had, he had collected from Gentile believers that he was going to take to Jerusalem. And he specifically says that it was to take care of the poor among the church in Jerusalem. And so he lays down this principle here that because the Gentiles have shared in Jews, the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to also share with them in their material blessings if that need would arise. And, uh, you know, we can cast our minds back to chapter 11 where he talks about the fact that Gentiles have been grafted into the olive tree. And you remember we went through all of that and that the blessings of Israel have been made ours. They have become ours. We have become joint heirs. We have become fellow citizens with the Jews. And that is in all the blessings of the covenants and the commonwealth of Israel as a whole. And so because of that, because we share in their blessings, their spiritual blessings, it's only right that we also should contribute to take care 
of Jews if there is a need for that to happen. And so an important principle is being, is being taught here. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 11, Paul applies it actually to people that are uh, given that have given themselves full time to preaching and teaching the word of God and to taking care of the church of God spiritually. And he says, are they not worthy of being provided for materially by those who are benefiting from their ministry? And um, he says there in verse uh, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? And so this principle applies across uh, different categories or different uh, spheres of our Christian lives. And uh, what I'd like you to do now is just pause the video and just discuss this, this principle and also just discuss what Paul taught here um, and what it means for us as Gentile believers here in Zimbabwe today. Maybe ask yourselves the question, how can we bless the Jews materially um, if it's needed today? You know, how might that happen? And if uh, we can't bless them materially, then how else can we bless the Jews just to acknowledge that we are sharing in their spiritual blessings and to give God thanks for that. So just discuss that and then come back and we'll look at the last section, section five. Welcome back. Uh, we want to look now at section five and what I'd like you to do is just read verses 30 to 33. And then there's two questions, uh, two considerations that will come up on the screen, um, if you can just discuss those as well, and then come back and we will uh, begin to wrap this uh, study up. Well, welcome back. Uh, I wonder if we realize the service that prayer is to the body of Christ and to the church and particularly, as we see here in this, these few verses, to those who are ministering, to those who are preaching the gospel, and in particular, with reference to those who are involved in missionary kind of work. You know, ministry is a struggle. Ministry is not always easy. Ministry can be very tough, and particularly for people that are going into new areas where they are pioneering, where they are taking the gospel to those that have never heard, uh, where they are breaking new ground. It's, it's not easy, and oftentimes the fruit can, can be a bit slow in coming, and it can be quite discouraging. And uh, these are the kind of struggles that Paul was very familiar with as he did this kind of work. Um, and what we see here is Paul asking the Roman Christians to join in with him in his struggle. Do you know that prayer makes us a part of missionary work? When we pray for missionaries, for people that are going out and taking the gospel to those that have never heard, breaking new ground. You know that we become a part of their work. Literally, we become a part of their work. Even though we're not going with them, even though we're not actually going out into those areas, just through our prayers for them, we become partners in the work that they're doing. And God sees it that way. And through our prayers, not only are we becoming partners, but we are actually helping to lift the burdens that they are facing. There is a real tangible um, benefit not only to ourselves, but to the people that we are praying for when we pray for them. And so we need to consider the need to pray for ministers of the gospel. And as I said, particularly those who are missionaries. If Paul, the great apostle, needed prayer so that he could go about his work, if he felt the need for the prayers of the saints, for just regular Christians like you and me, then how about our missionaries today, the people that are taking the gospel 
out into areas that have never heard today. And so I think it would be wonderful for us just to end up today praying for the work of evangelism and church planting in Zimbabwe and also in the world as a whole. And uh, uh, you may be able to think of some missions or maybe some missions that you know about, maybe in this nation it could be, um, or it could be others into other virgin areas, maybe into Muslim nations, into areas I'm talking about where the gospel has not really gone before. And let's just spend some time praying for them. We see in these verses that uh, Paul asked for them to pray that they may be kept safe from those who wish to persecute them and stop their ministries, uh, that their service to God's people would be received favorably. And there's also going to be two scriptures that will just come up um, on your uh, screen, Um, one from Ephesians 6, the other one from 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, that will also just give you some pointers towards how to pray for people that are involved in ministry and uh, people that are taking the gospel like uh, as missionaries out into these kind of areas. So those will come up on your screen. And if you can just maybe spend some time as a life group just praying for missions uh, in Zimbabwe and around the world as the Lord may just lay it on your hearts. God bless you. It's been wonderful to lead you in this study. And uh, I pray that you've been blessed by it as well. Bye-bye.